0: Good morning. Today is uh, Thursday, February 19th, 2015, and I am on the line with Barbara Achinger. Did I pronounce your name correctly?
1: Uh, It's close enough. Okay.
0: And Barbara is Vice President of New Business Development and Co-Founder of Future Plus Systems. Future Plus is a world leader in innovative DDR memory and video standard tools for validation and compliance. And their website is www.futureplus, just like it sounds, one word, .com. So Barbara, thanks for uh, joining us today from I, with IEEE Cloud Computing. I had my first question for you is you have a background in computer hardware and so how did you become involved in the hardware side of cloud computing?
1: Uh, Okay well first of all I'd like to thank you Chris for having me on. So my background is I have a bachelor's and master's degree in electrical engineering, and I started my career at Digital Equipment Corporation. So I like to tell people I was raised at, at Digital, and Digital was an amazing place to work, and that was really the the founding of the mini computer, uh, the MicroVAX, uh, along with the MicroVAX chip. So that's kind of where I started, and the job I had there was first of all I started in diagnostic engineering so I had I was a software engineer and then I moved into hardware and I did the networking devices for the microvaxes and the large uh, main somewhat mainframe vax computers so that gave me uh, the background of networking computers together which is the basics of cloud computing mm-hmm. so then once uh, my husband and I founded future plus systems which was you know, over 20 years ago, we started to do uh, the test equipment for the various bus architectures that were standardized inside these computers. And then we started to do DDR memory. And of course, DDR memory is is at the heart of all cloud computing servers. And it was, you know, kind of in this role that I uh, really took the deep technical dive into cloud computing hardware.
0: So um, interesting. I started my career in this area, so I remember digital equipment very well, and uh, and it's slow and then quick decline when that when they declined. But back in the day, they were the company to work for. Yes. they were doing so many interesting things, and uh, it's um, it was uh, it was an ama- it was amazing thing to see them go down so fast, but year you know when i was in college we used that's all we used to work axes and um we that was the like you you remember we've talked about this before on other podcasts the thin client and and that's kind of what in the days that the mainframe days that was the thin client which is kind of like what cloud computing is today but um just as a follow-on question how it seems like the economics has changed so, so much because we went from having a thin client to having workstations on our desk. Then going, now we're going back with cloud computing. And is it different in the days when there were mainframes and mini computers or, and what's different and what's causing, it must be economics driving that change and technology, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well,
1: I, I really think it's technology has driven the economics. So You know, cell phones, for a perfect example, you know, now that the power of a mainframe is now in your hand. Okay, so the advancements in wireless technology and uh, battery, you know, power savings, and also, you know, in the semiconductor industry, shrinking things down, that has driven the need for cloud computing.
0: Because you can't store... Can't, and you can't store everything you need on a phone, but it's got the computing power.
1: Correct. So yeah. so really, uh, you're not storing things locally. And because our society is more you know, mobile, we move around, we can't carry that desktop computer with us. So it makes more sense, both from a technology perspective and from an economic perspective, to have that... Data and applications stored remotely.
0: Right, right, yeah, it, it does. I know um, in my company too. We, it's it's so much cheaper for us to put things out in the cloud than it is to maintain it internally. For us, we've done studies, and it's just way cheaper. Um, I had a question that came up that came up for me early in something you said. You said DDR memory is. At the heart of cloud computing is that what you said yes yeah so what ddr i want to just clarify for those who don't know um that's double data rate yes sdram right Um, yes synchronous dynamic random access memory so why is that at the heart of cloud computing
1: Well, you know, you have the computer architecture, right? In fact, I did a video for CloudU on the basics of computer architecture, and you can learn computer architecture in 10 minutes. And so the basics of computer architecture are the CPU, the memory, and the I.O. Right. So if you look at a cloud computing server, it's obviously got, you know, dual-core and quad-core processors now. But then where does the processor store its most used information. And that's in the memory. So if you were to open up one of those servers, uh, you would be looking down at, you know, 24 to 48, what we call DIM modules, dual inline memory modules. Uh, And that is the double data rate or DDR memory. Okay. And Mm -hmm. that is, you know, the main memory and it's a quick access to the processor. And, the way computer architecture is today that is the way it is and ddr memory is you know it's 30% of the server's power consumption and it's a it's it's integral
0: and so that when you do when you set up virtual servers on real computer hardware you that's the, the that's the technology that enabled it because it's so much faster and higher capacity
1: Yes, uh, yeah. the, you know the amount of memory you can put in the servers now is huge. Now that yeah. has its trade-offs. Okay, um, it takes longer to boot the servers when they have all that memory in them. So when a when a you know a cloud comes down and then they have to bring it back up, um, that can create some problems. And also now the memory has to be tested, and if there's problems with it, well you know they have to deallocate it, and that can add some complexity.
0: Right, right. And then you mentioned the heat factor as well, too. It's hotter
1: if you have more. Yes, and it's power consumption.
0: Power consumption. Yeah, that's what you said. Yeah, interesting. Um, Yeah, and the other thing I wanted to mention is back when I went to school, which is around the time probably you went to school, there wasn't computer software majors back then. It was all electrical engineering. And um, they we did some. There were software classes in the electrical engineering. Computer software was just coming out as a major, so um, everybody did hardware back then. (laughs) Um, So all right, moving on to the next question. Uh, We're you know we often a a lot of the articles on the IEEE, a lot of our podcasts, we've talked about models and more the software end of cloud computing. But I wondered if you could talk a little bit about hardware centers, about where they're located, about how they're managed and um, where how big they are and what type of people work in them, anything you can tell us about that, because they tend to be mysterious, kind of like the Wizard of Oz, the uh, behind the green curtain (laughs) type thing. And uh, I I think that they are, there's a lot of security around them for sure. So I I wonder what you can say, what you know about them, and what you can say and where anything you can, any of those questions, if you can answer them.
1: Yeah, I get asked uh, uh, by young engineers, because I'm, uh, I help out with the Society of Women Engineers and by people that are not in our industry you know, are they physically in the cloud, okay? Why do they use that word cloud computing? Well, I can tell you they are physically, obviously not in the cloud, okay? Uh, but what I did was I took a look at, you know, the phrase cloud computing and how how did it get started? Why do they use this word cloud, okay? Right, right. Because so it's been around a while, like yeah, you said, yeah. It's, um, so according to the MIT Technology Review, the term actually started back in the 90s with compact computer. Uh, it didn't really take off till two thousand six, but the the word cloud basically means, as we had discussed, that the applications are moved off your desktop and onto a server, and that server is somewhere on the internet. Okay, so so where they're located is everywhere, and I've been in several of them, and some of them look like just large warehouses, and they're, they're
0: usually flat, one floor.
1: Yep, usually mm-hmm. one floor. They're unmarked and they have no signage okay outside the buildings and uh, you know if you walk inside it's very loud with the um, the fans going and air conditioning and it's just rows and rows and rows of little glowing boxes you know stacked on top of each other and with security you know significant security and technicians uh, monitoring and then swapping Swapping things out when when they fail, and it's really you know it, the massive size is impressive, but really it's somewhat uninteresting. <laughs> as yeah, far that as actually being pictures. in a in a data center,
0: yeah, I've seen pictures of it, um, and uh, you know I think the Google and the Amazon ones, are, some of those are in the desert, and but are there any on the East Coast? Are there far? Oh, do they, oh yeah. yes,
1: there are. There's. You know, there's, you know, smaller data centers clearly on the East Coast and uh, specifically financial data centers, okay, because they want those networking connections to be very close to the exchanges yeah. so they can do their high-frequency trading.
0: How, how far, if you were going to do some kind of um, simple calculation at a date, uh, on a, let's say you had a... Um, Let's say you had a virtual server, and it was located on at a date It was physically located at a data center on the East Coast, and you were in New Hampshire, and it was in, somewhere in the Boston area, let's say. And then you did that same thing that whether it be a transaction or a computation, and you um, you bought someone's try. All right, oh, that was you. Yeah, okay. Um, you bought it over to, you did it someplace in Arizona. What's the difference in speed? Is it microseconds, milliseconds? You know? uh,
1: um, I think, you know, if it's, if it's New York or if it's, if the data center's in New York and you're physically, you know, in New York and, or if you were in Arizona, um, you know, you're going to be able, if you're not physically in that building, uh, it's going to be, you know, microseconds to access you know, the information, whereas if you're in uh, Arizona, you know, it, it it's going to be milliseconds, if not seconds. Yeah, okay. Wow. So, so the, and then physi- if you had a
0: lot to do, it would, it would, pro- yeah. it would compound the situation. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And it, I mean, there are a lot of factors, just not only the physical location, but the, um the priority of the virtual channel that you're on. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously there are, folks in Arizona who do have a high-speed channel, you know, directly into servers on the East Coast because their job demands it. Um, it, 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 You know, that's the other concept that you have there is the virtual channel over the network, which Mm. gives you a higher priority pipe into that data center. Mm. I
0: see. How do you get those higher priority pipes?
1: Well, well, you probably have uh, have to pay for them. Okay, Mm -hmm. and your your access would have to be warranted. For example, if you were in the government or in the uh, in the financial trading business, your company pays for that uh, higher priority access
0: to the provider, whoever provides it. And it
1: yeah. Well, in a lot of cases, you are the provider, okay? So if it were, let's say, a um, Goldman Sachs, I mean, Goldman Sachs runs their own data centers. So yeah. if they had uh, folks that were working around the world, they provide that to their own employees.
0: Yeah, yeah, interesting. Uh, okay. Um, so getting back to that, um, how do these large data centers prevent catastrophic failures like for instance those hu- especially with those huge data farms it almost seems like they're more vulnerable let's say a terrorist attack of an airplane crashing into them or um, something like Hurricane Sandy which um, was you know only a couple of years ago but I know some companies, that were completely wiped out because their data centers were wiped out from Hurricane Sandy. Uh, yeah. I don't know if you knew that. Yeah, and because um, I mean, they were smaller data centers on the East Coast, um, I know the IEEE was down for a while um, before they were able to recover, though. But uh, because they're they have big offices on the East Coast and they were really affected by Hurricane Sandy, so I'm guessing these companies learned from Hurricane Sandy, but what do data, what do data centers do to protect from catastrophic failures like that?
1: Well, they have to mirror their applications and their data in remotely. So, um, I think Facebook had an article about, you know, they have data centers all over the world, and what they do is they will move the information around. Okay, yeah. so so they will physically copy, uh, you know, information from you know, their data centers in the United States to their data centers overseas, and they will move that around remotely uh, and periodically in order to provide, you know, quick access to the information and to protect it from any type of catastrophic failure.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's how it's done. And that works pretty well, doesn't it?
1: Well, from what I understand, it does. But, of course, uh, you know, that does add cost. Uh, to their application and it, uh, you know, that, you know, that can also add complexity. So they have to, that's the cost of doing business and they have to deal with that.
0: Right, right. So the next question is if you are, um, you know, we were talking earlier how uh, these hardware centers are like the Wizard of Oz and kind of behind the green curtain. And when you... Are when you are a user of cloud computing services, do you think it's important to research all the way back down to the hardware, or is that even necessary? I guess it depends on your application and how critical it is.
1: That's right. Yes, that that's exactly correct, Chris. If you are in a if you have a critical application, then I would say absolutely yes. Um, I like to tell the story about uh, a financial data center. Uh, that I had the opportunity to visit, and I was using one of our tools. It's called the DDR Detective to look at the memory subsystem of one of their servers. And I found, you know, I said, you know, hey, do you even know how fast you're running this this uh, memory subsystem? I said, well, you're running it at 1333, and the engineer said, well, why did I pay for 1600 DIMs? Okay. Uh, I also found that uh, certain parameters of the of the JEDEC specification which governs the DDR memory was being violated and of course then they would say well you know we do get these ghost errors in our memory where and that's a cost to them because they have to bring things down they have to run tests they have to find out if they have any failures and then they were complaining that they couldn't find any memory failures and that's why they called them ghost because they disappeared so folks really do have to pay a lot closer attention to the physical hardware, um, there's a lot of vendors out there that will just sell you anything, and because they rely upon the fact that the customer is not very sophisticated and right. do, does not understand, uh, you know, computing hardware, and you're going to get taken advantage of. And right. there, there are um, there are very critical applications that should be very wary of the amount of testing that has gone into the servers that they put in their data center. I mean, for example, I like to use Facebook as an example because they're very open with some of their uh, information, and they stated that the DDR memory is the number two failure in their data center. So they're, wow. they're swapping DIMs, okay? And even Google has produced some very interesting uh, papers where they say that the DDR memory fails far, far more often than what is advertised in the spec sheet from the vendors. And so, what we've seen is that for cloud computing, uh, the failure rate of the DDR memory is a real, a real problem. And that's the reason why we came up with with the with our products that test this DDR memory while it's actually in the server. Okay, because you can test the memory uh, in its DIM configuration and then you put it into the server and, you know, everything can change. So, we see that as a real vulnerability um, with the growth of cloud computing. So, Future Plus, along with some other companies, are working under the JetX standards organization to actually create a compliance test standard for server-based memory. To bring so that, down the error rate. That's
0: interesting. Yeah, because that would probably tie into contracts that vendors have with with, uh, with their customers. Because there's a certain You can you if you have you buy service contracts now, and they have they have to make sure that they're up ninety nine point nine percent of the time, or whatever it is the, the server contract the service contract says. And that would tie into it, and you would say, "Okay, that's nice. You're signing this contract, but what guarantees can you give me
1: that you can actually meet that contract?" Right, and, and the and the yeah. integrity of the data, right? So yes. what oh, that's happen- Good too, yeah. Right. So people say, "Oh, well, I'm ECC protected," you know, which is the error correcting code that we use to correct the information in the DDR memory. But ECC is a single error detection, single error correction, and only a double uh, bit. Detection. Anything beyond that, the you run the risk of undetected data corrupt, corruption, and in critical applications, that would not be tolerated.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's that's a, that would be that's a pretty big problem. So, uh, for my final question, is what you you, you implied this at the end of, when you were talking about standards? What do you see as the challenges? and in the future for the area of hardware and cloud computing?
1: Well, I think we need to change the architecture of cloud computing servers. And in my opinion, based on all the work that I've done, is they have to be tailored to the workload. Um, in fact, I recently saw a video news by Intel, who's and, and by the way, Intel's processors dominate the server market. They own 90% of the server market, uh, which is basically cloud computing. And what they're doing is putting FPGAs in their processor uh, chips in order to accomplish the tailoring of the hardware to match the workload. Uh, And the reason why you want to do that is because now we're coming into the Internet of Things and you've seen the hockey stick projections on the graphs as far as all of this data now going into these uh, data centers and cloud computing servers. And the solution that we have today is just blindly throwing servers into data centers. You know, that's really not going to work um, to handle you know, that hockey stick of, of data influx. And so what we have to do is analyze these workloads and create new computer architectures that are tuned actually to the workload. For example, the workload of Facebook is very different than the workload of Fidelity. So uh, that's what I see as the next challenge in the area of hardware and cloud computing.
0: So would you would you have to design different types of data centers for the workload? It,
1: it, yeah, well, actually, Facebook is already doing a little bit of that. So, for example, Facebook will have a unique hardware design for, let's say, the news feed. Okay? They will then have a different physical server designed for Videos and you know storing pictures and things like that. So we will start to see that, uh, and that, in my opinion, is is the next big challenge. In fact, at Future Plus Systems, we've we've changed our our approach to this, and we've created a, a tool that actually sits in the server while it's running any workload and gives the engineer what the memory performance is. For that workload, because you know, as we talked about earlier, the access to the memory is really a big portion of the performance of that server.
0: Interesting. Well, it, this is a great, um, a really good topic. Um, I have, I'm actually writing a blog post a little bit about this. So you've given me some information for my blog post. I appreciate it. And I thank you for taking the time to speak to me today.
1: Great. Well, thank you,
0: Chris.